Good morning. Season 5 of Matthew will be in Matthew chapter 8. Um, just to kind of catch you up, what we've done in 2022, we spent 14 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so it's been a little while since we've been there, but if you're, in, you're not familiar with it or you've forgotten because of all the Christmas and that's happened since then, it's this gathering of his teachings in chapters 5, 6, and 7 that most people consider one of the greatest, if not the greatest, gathering of a teaching um, on morality and what it means to walk with God of any, anybody else in the world. So we find ourselves at this place right now, and um, let me pray for us, and we're going to jump right into it. God, the weather's been weird, and uh, we've been cold, and there's been snow, and, um, but we think of our brothers and sisters all around the world that have suffered much worse, and now as we gather, we gather to this portrait of Christ and we ask that you would, in a supernatural way, you would, you would put aside the distractions and you would allow us to see Jesus more clearly than we presently do. Thank you for this, this picture, this snapshot of him. We commit our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 8 uh, begins with, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, Large crowds followed him. Now that is a, a connector. Whenever you're reading the scriptures on your own and you find yourself jumping in and that's it, for some reason you flip open and you get to chapter 8, that ought to say, what mountainside? What's going on? It's connecting. It's saying it's a continuation of something that's been going on. Now I've already given you a hint. What mountainside was it? It was the sermon on the mountainside that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's directly after that. Now, so this is a placeholder for us. We're early in Jesus' ministry. We, we track Jesus' ministry. One of the better ways to do it is to just to watch out for the Passovers. There are four Passovers that you work through through the Gospels um, when you are following Christ, that kind of mark a little over three years. And we're early on in that we've had only one Passover so far. Uh, that first Passover happened right around, right before, just months before. In John chapter 2, we see it, but just months before Matthew 8, right before the Sermon on the Mount. And when you see the fact that he's come down from the mountainside, it serves then as a connector for us early on. And the crowds are starting to become huge. I just want you all to know that's not me. Okay? So I don't even care what it is, but it ain't me. So don't think, gosh. So... You've got these, these connectors that are going on, and we find that he's coming down, and the crowds are huge. They're going to stay huge for quite some time. And then somewhere in Jesus' ministry, there's going to actually have his, some of his teaching is going to begin to thin the crowds. But that's still in front of us. Verse 2. 
slow down a little bit on this verse. A man with leprosy. We find this same portrait of Jesus in Luke chapter 5 and in Mark chapter 1. In Luke, it says that the man was covered with leprosy. So he is in an advanced stage of leprosy. This word in Greek, lepros, is, is a general term, and they kind of used it for all skin diseases. Um, throughout the New Testament, we'll see it there several times in the New Testament. We just celebrated, oh, not us, but the world just celebrated um, World Leprosy Day. I'm not kidding. This was uh, just four weeks ago, January 29th. It's the last Sunday of January every year. Leprosy is still a very real disease. Um, in uh, 2022, there were just over 200,000 cases of leprosy, according to the World Health Organization. We remember them, right, in COVID, the WHO? We remember them. The countries with the largest concentrations of leprosy are Brazil, India, and Indonesia. And if you were here last week, you remember I introduced you to a country that's very difficult to live in, Myanmar. They are a close second group. And it's still um, going on today. It is a horrible disease. Um, and of course, in Jesus' day, it had no cure. And it was basically a slow death that was pronounced on you beginning at skin level with sores and then going inside of the tissue, getting out down into the bones and eventually even, even eating away the organs. I read uh, one commentator that said it's seen universally, especially early around the time of Christ, it was seen as the saddest calamity of life. Whatever might happen to you, Leprosy was the worst. By law, you were not allowed to ever touch anyone. In fact, you weren't even allowed to speak to anyone. You had to cover every place that was infected and always cover your nose and mouth. It was a mask-required disease. And you had to stay at least six feet away from everyone. The law demanded that you also admit your uncleanliness by screaming out whenever there were people around that you are unclean. And this vocally was supposed to be a, a plea for prayer, but it actually became an announcement for some abuse. The kindest people would just avoid the lepers, um, and the most righteous would arm themselves if they knew lepers were in the area, especially rabbis of Jesus' day, would carry rocks for when they saw them so that they could throw rocks at them to make sure that they stayed away. It's a horrible, horrible disease. You can't touch, can't speak. You're removed from your family. The The... The leprosy is so feared that if a leper actually walked into your home, the home is declared unclean from the dirt to the beam ceiling, the ceiling beams, which means you have, to, you have to scrape away the wood from the beams, you have to dig out the dirt, and then every single piece of anything in that home 
has to be taken out and burned. Furniture, dishes, cloth, clothes, everything. The scriptures say that he came, the leper came, and knelt before him. In the account in Mark, it says that he came and begged on his knees. In Luke, it says that he fell on his face and begged. He recognizes his uncleanliness and his unworthiness by turning away from Christ and falling onto his knees. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In each account, it is exactly the same. The same exact phrase. It's the, it's the same throughout. And there is something, there is something, now use your imagination here with me, but there is something about Jesus that lets this leper know he thinks Jesus is approachable. Every single rabbi this leper has, leper has ever seen has been one who would drive him away and throw rocks at him. But something about the teachings of Christ lets this leper think that he could actually speak to him. That he's approachable. You know, we, we spent, as I said, 14 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount and we marvel at the wisdom and the challenge and the, and the, the balance of what Christ calls people to. But what we don't get, unfortunately, is we don't get to hear the tonation of it. That somehow when Jesus spoke these words, not only were they brilliant words, but they were spoken in such a way that the, the least of the listening crowd, the most outcast of the social structures, somehow thought, that guy cares for me. That guy would hear my voice. He somehow thinks, this teacher is different than every rabbi he's ever heard. What a giant contrast this must have been. The brilliance of the word. It's a mic drop sermon. You will never hear a sermon. Sorry, Jay, but you will never hear a sermon that approaches the brilliance of what this was given with. But somehow it's also given with such kindness. It makes this guy think, Lord, if you're willing, you could make me clean. Now, we get a little secret response in Mark, and in Mark only. It says in the NIV, it's translated, Jesus was indignant when he heard this. Which is weird, right? Everybody that you're, all the things I just said, then you go, wait, he was indignant? It's actually, that's a, it's a poor translation. It's only translated there in the NIV, indignant. Everywhere else, other nine times that it shows up in the New Testament, it's translated anger. Or actually, one place, enraged. That Jesus, when he hears and sees this leper, 
his response is a lot like the, the story of Martha and Mary in John 11, where he sees the, the brokenness and the sadness of these two sisters after the death of Lazarus. And it says that in his spirit, he was like moved. And the word therefore moved is a lot like this word here. He was sad. He was angry. He sees the effects of sin and how wrong the world has gone. Jesus has seen the world in a pristine, sinless state at the creation with God the Father. He saw how it was intended. And then he sees this man who has been ostracized for years. It's taken years for the leprosy to advance to this stage. He's been years without kind voices in his life. He's been years without family and community. And he sees that. And he's angry about it. You see, the, the teachers in Jesus' day would have associated pain and hardship and illness with individual sin. They would have assumed and come to the conclusion that if you have leprosy, you must have done something awfully wrong for this to have happened to you. We don't understand sickness that way. The balance of the New Testament gives us an understanding, and it's actually true in the Old Testament as well, that sin is more, or illness is more an effect of the sinfulness and fall of mankind generationally rather than individually. Are you following me? Because this is, this is pretty important. Because there are some of you in the room who all the time when something bad happens to you, your immediate thought is, I must have done something wrong. Now, sometimes you did. You were doing 90 in a, in a 65. You, that was, you got caught. It's pay the ticket. Don't get theological there. It's a direct cause and effect relationship. But sometimes when things happen to us, we, we fall back into this old way of thinking that, man, something bad's happened. Or we look on others and say, if bad's happened to them, it's because of individual sin. It is not. Most times, especially in terms of illness, always there, it's just an effect of corporate mankind's sin. The fall of mankind. With me? So he's, he's looking at this and he's, he's repulsed by what he sees. He's angry. And just as in John chapter 11, Jesus, that's right, right when he says he's angry, then the very next verse is some of y'all's favorite memory verses of all times. Jesus wept. Well, here he responds as well. Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand not with a rock, not with condemnation. He does something that hasn't been done for this man in years. He reaches toward Imagine the shock. 
he reached out his hand and then touched the man. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Other illnesses, and in fact, in this section of Matthew, chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see 10 miracles happen. Just bam, 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 bam. Just one after another, over and over. In fact, in some paragraphs, we have multiple healings. This interaction is not called a healing. It's called a cleansing. Jesus says, be clean. The word for willing um, is used a ton of times, like over 200 times in the New Testament. And it usually, it's translated here willing, but it's usually translated want. If you want to, you can. Or if you will, if you desire, if you would. And we have this, now we have this beautiful picture. First, at first we are struck that Jesus initiates the movement towards this man and he goes all the way to touching him. Imagine watching that and the fear of his disciples because now that Jesus has touched him, they can't touch Jesus. But we have something else. We have something else here for honest. Let's just let's dig into it. I am willing. I suggest to you that that's Jesus's posture towards you still today. That's his posture towards everyone. If he is willing and he is able, how come some of y'all are still sick? And this is a misunderstanding of how first, there's several things. By the way, this is a, intellectually or theologically, we can talk about this, and it's actually pretty easy for me to talk about why you're still sick. But if you're sick, emotionally, this is super difficult. So I acknowledge that. But we sometimes come to to sections of Scripture like this, and I already told you there's going to be, Ten miracles in these two chapters, eight and nine, and, and we just see it flow out of it. Following the teachings of Christ, we see all of those teachings authenticate his authority by these miracles that happen. But actually, as you look at the scriptures, you'll see that the scriptures aren't that way all the way through. They're not full of miracles over and over again. You don't find the people of God constantly getting what they ask for. You with me on this? In fact, you find a people of God suffering 
and God being with them in that suffering. So don't, don't say, well, if he's willing and he's powerful enough, then I ought to be healed. But since I'm not healing, healed, he must not either be powerful enough or willing. There is other options. There are other options for us then. Perhaps the most loving best thing is not to heal. Now that was said theologically very calmly. But when you love someone and you want to see them healed, this is difficult. The scriptures, in fact, are not full of healings. There's actually the miracles and healings that we see in the scriptures primarily surround three time periods. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Now, there are others, sure enough. But it kind of happens in this area. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but let me kind of talk a little bit about clean. Because clean actually is different. What he does, what Christ does for the leper is he heals him of leprosy, but he does something even more significant by pronouncing him clean. The things that once separated him from God are now removed. This word for clean is used actually 31 times in the New Testament, but usually it's not about a cleansing of leprosy. It's about things like this. Jesus cleansed his church. Ephesians 5. Jesus cleansed our conscience. Hebrews 9, Jesus cleanses us once for all. Hebrews 10, Jesus declares us clean for all who have faith. Titus 2. In fact, in 1 John, it says he cleanses us from all sin. Same word for the leper and for you and I. Now, he asks him to do something because he is now clean. He asks him to do something. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. Very strange. He doesn't say this much. See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Mark says that in this, his, Mark's account of this, he says, he went instead and talked freely to everyone who would listen. Luke says that the news spread about him all the more. And both Mark and Luke say that because of this man's disobedience, Jesus then begins to start the practice of withdrawing to lonely places so that he can have meals and teach the disciples. I mean, it's... You add to this, you got one leper who he says, don't tell anybody, he tells everybody. And then you got, and he kind of, he's kind of thrown in a bad light there for doing that. And then you've got 10 lepers later on that get healed. And he says, go and tell the priest. And nine of them do it, but one of them doesn't. And then Jesus commends the one that didn't. I think what is happening actually is, is something a little bit 
behind the scenes in that Jesus, Jesus is inviting the religious establishment into the conversation. Now imagine this. If they go to the priests and this leper says, I am healed and I am cleansed, the priests are then forced to investigate. Is this a cleansing? First, they would check his body out to make sure he has no um, rashes or anything left on his skin. And then they would go and ask, was this man actually a leper? And he's going to have tons of testimony for that because he's been a leper a long time. One theologian said, Jesus, in effect, was presenting his calling card to the priests for they would have to investigate his claim. The crowds are already huge. It doesn't really matter that this guy said more because they were already big and they're going to get bigger. What mattered was is that Jesus was inviting, even in this, he's inviting his enemies into the conversation. Now, back to healing. Do you believe that God still has the power to heal? Just answer quietly in your own heart. Do you believe that God is willing? Are you open-handed with that answer? Did you actually really mean to sing what you sang a few songs ago when you said you want the God who has always been, the God of Moses and of Jacob and of Israel. There's a strategy for unanswered prayer. There's a way of thinking it through, and this is from a guy named Andrew Murray who was kind of a contemporary, actually, of Adoniram Judson, who we talked about last Week. He's a little old, a uh, little younger, a little later than Adoniram, but they would have crossed over and lived at the same time. This is what Adoniram, or this is what Andrew Murray affirms about unanswered prayer or where he is now. He says, I believe God brought me here and that it's by his will that I am where I am. I believe that God will keep me here in his love and give me the grace to, be, um, to behave as his child in this situation. So I'm, I believe he's brought me here. I believe he'll give me the grace to stay here. Then he will make the trial a blessing. He will teach me lessons and he will, that he intends me to learn, and sometimes he will remove the trial. And then in his good time, in his good time, he says, he will bring me out again. How and when, only he knows. So I'm here by God's appointment. I'm in his keeping. I'm under his training for his time. But not knowing whether we will be healed or not, we are commanded over and over again, and it is modeled over and over again, that we would ask, that we would seek it. We would seek it with the acknowledgement of what A.W. Tozer said. Let me read this to you. Follow along 
uh, real closely. All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom. All God's acts are done in perfect wisdom. First for his own glory, and then for the highest good of the greatest number for the longest time. And all his acts are as pure as they are wise, and as good as they are wise and pure. Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them cannot be imagined. An infinitely wise God must work in a manner not to be improved upon by finite creatures. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of your riches. So in acknowledgement, in, in, in taking the posture of the leper, when we ask for healing, we are saying our face is on the ground. We acknowledge that you are a good God and a wise God and that you are a willing God. I find myself in this situation or I find people I love in a certain situation. I'm asking you to change it in your goodness and in your wisdom. But I submit that your goodness and wisdom might be different. You with me? And that the, the model tends to be that, that we will live inside of the birth pains of our creation until Jesus finally comes and redeems it all anew. So I want to do something with you. I would like for you to do, allow me to do something with you. And that is, I'd like to pray for you if you are sick. I have nothing other than the example in the New Testament that it commands me to do it. I don't know what's going to happen. But possibly what will happen is that God will give you the grace to continue on in your illness. Or by his mercy, he may start to heal you. I don't know. But I'd like to take a moment first to do that. And so, um, if you would just, if you think it, you'd like for me to pray for you right now, if you would just raise your hand. I don't need to know what your illness is or what's going on, but I would like to pray for you. Please keep them up for just a second. If you don't mind, keep them up while I pray. God of heaven, we acknowledge that our understanding is so finite and so limited and that possibly one of the greatest gifts you've given each of us who have our hands high is the illness we want removed. That it is the instrument in our lives that you're using to teach us Christ-likeness. And so we confess that that might be true. But God, we're asking, we're asking on the merit of Christ, we're asking in the powerful name of our Savior Jesus, 
drawing on the fact that we believe you to be willing and able. Would you please, knowing all of the details of the hands raised, would you bring healing, would you bring cleansing to each of the situations, whatever it might be, physical, psychological, spiritual. God, we ask that you would move, please, please on their behalf. Their raised hand is a plea to you. But we submit to your wisdom and your goodness. In the matchless name of Christ, together we say, amen. There is another offer in this story, and it is to be clean. And I know by the authority of Scripture that we all need this. I don't need hands on this part. Some of you have never embraced the work of Christ. And so I would encourage you, as it says in James chapter 4, he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God is opposed to the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify, that's clean. It's the same exact word as what Jesus said when he said, be clean. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There are some of you in the room, you don't need any more information. You can sense the spirit of God drawing you in. And he longs to pronounce over you once and for all, forever, be clean. If that is you, say yes to Jesus. It's that easy and yet that profound. Jesus, I cannot achieve that kind of cleanliness on my own. It ain't working for me. I'd like to give you a try. Come in and pronounce my my forgiveness over me and be clean. Also, there are us in the room who have sinned against God. Let me say this carefully but clearly. For the Christian, sin is not what's our problem. That does not separate us from God. What separates us from God is known, unconfessed sin. Jesus has already declared, be clean. That all of the righteous requirements of the law have been met in Christ. That that your forgiveness is fully extended. If you're a Christian, that's that's who he has declared you to be. But confession is a regular part. Repentance is a regular part of our life because we fall short regularly. But if we walk in the light, 1 John says, as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, that's our word, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify, there's our word again, cleanse us, pronounce us clean, purify us from all unrighteousness. So before we take communion, I wanna invite you to a confessional reading. Now, let me say something here. Uh, There are times when we say things and sing things out loud If it's not true of you, skip it. Okay, so like we just sang a song. Uh, Let me see if I can remember it. Um, I just want you. Uh, What's it say after that? Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I hope you guys love me a lot because I'm about to tell you what the truth. I don't ever sing, I just want you. I, I want to just want him. But sometimes I, I want something, other things too. And then so instead of singing that line, I just start to confess the things that are in my mind that I think are in the way. Now, um, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I believe that theologically so I can sing that part. You with me? So what am I saying? I'm saying that if we say we confess in this prayer to God the Father and you don't want to confess it, don't read it. It's okay. You're just not there yet. Maybe the best you can do is say, I want to want to confess. And so I'm just going to sit here in that thought. But the rest of you, I'd, I'd challenge you that as we go through this, 1 John affirms that we can have all unrighteousness cleansed and purified from us as we confess our sin to him. The communion table is given to us by Christ as a word picture to make sure that this habit is practiced by us on a regular basis. And so we're going to read this as a confessional. As we, and I chose it because it covers a lot of stuff. There's almost, almost whatever you did, it's going to be in there. And if you read a line and then a sin comes to your mind, then you just get real particular. Like when I, I read this this past week, I, and as I read it, a sin, very particular sin came to mind. I quit reading out loud and I confessed that sin came to my mind and then I just picked it up when I could. With me? So God's going to bring some things to your mind because he longs for you to celebrate your cleanliness before him. There's nothing that separates you from him except known, unconfessed sin. So please stand with me. And then after we've read it, Chris and the team will begin to lead us in singing and you can come and get the elements and take them at your leisure whenever you feel ready to do that. Read with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone by what we have said and what we have left unsaid. We have not loved you with our whole heart 
we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess, we admit, we get honest with you and ourselves. For the times our hearts have wandered from you, trusting in mere idols for peace and happiness that can only be found in you. For the times we have abandoned you, the true living water, and dug for ourselves cracked cisterns that hold no water at all, we confess. For the many times we have deceived ourselves and others, hiding behind false appearances, afraid to face the truth, afraid to tell the truth, we confess. For the many times we have not involved you in our decision-making, when we have rushed ahead with our own plans in our own strength, expecting you to co-sign our schemes, we confess. For the times we have railed at you and blamed you when things didn't turn out as we planned, we confess. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent we turn a new direction. We ask for a transformation and renewal of our minds and hearts, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.